Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. each other. I guess my name is Chris if we have, but um, today I want to tell you, talk about something you probably already intuitively know, and that is that we are living in a time of accelerated change. You are living in a time of accelerated change. Things have moved rapidly over the course of the last 11, 12 months. Um, there are some experts that would say that we've moved ahead five to ten years when it comes to the evolution of a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, areas, technology, social issues, those sort of things, and how we live our lives. I mean, just let's just talk about Zoom, right? Grandmas are on Zoom, great grandmas are on Zoom. At the end of 2019, Zoom had about 10 million users. Now they have about 300 million users. I mean, that's just a radical change and shift in our culture. And this type of technology is going to continue to be part of the uh, our everyday lives. We're just continuing to see accelerated change in our lives. We need to talk about <clears throat> we need to talk about change because you can see change in your life as one of two things: as a threat or as an opportunity. You can see change as a threat, or you can see it as an opportunity. Now, if you see change as a threat, then it's something you need to survive. Right? It's something you need to kind of white-knuckle your way through. We just got to get through this. Maybe that's how you've seen the last 11 months. I just got to survive. But you can also, when you encounter change, see it as an opportunity. And if it's an opportunity, it's a chance to look at what's possible. A chance to look at what's ahead. So you can see change as a threat and something to survive or as an opportunity to dream. So let me give you an example of this. In 20, uh, 2008... <clears throat> there was an economic crisis. And companies like Ford, GM, and Chrysler, all those uh, car companies said, man, with this economic crisis, everything's changing. It's a threat to our survival. And many of them asked for financial bailouts. They needed financial help. We just have to survive this threat to this, and this economic change and get to the other side. And they saw change as a threat to their, and tried to survive. But there was someone else in the automotive industry who in 08, in the midst of the crisis, saw an opportunity. He saw it as a chance to dream. And that person was Elon Musk, who in 2008, when everybody else was being bailed out, unveiled the first Tesla Roadster, really beginning the electric car revolution. He chose to see the crisis, this change as an opportunity to dream and plan. Now this is why this is so important. Because you can't really survive and dream at the same time. You can't dream while you're in survival mode, right? At the same time, when your marriage is in the ditch and you're just trying to hang on, you're not really dreaming about that amazing romantic vacation you're going to have. You can't survive and dream at the same time. And many of you have been surviving for a while now. And I'll be honest with you, there have been different times during this pandemic when I have felt like I've just been surviving, just kind of waiting in a holding pattern until we can get back to normal. And what I want to talk about today is how do we move from surviving to dreaming again? Well, today we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 14 to 19. 
And um, Isaiah was a prophet to the Israelite people, God's chosen people. This was long before Jesus. And a prophet was a voice of God to the people. So he would admonish them, he would encourage them, he would prophesy about what was going to happen in the future and see those things come, come to pass. And Isaiah was a prophet prophesying to God's people. Now in this particular passage, we're looking at the Israelites, and they are in exile. They've been taken over by the Babylonians. They have been <clears throat> ripped from their homeland. They're under oppress- the, the oppressive rule, and they are really just surviving. I mean, they're just really hanging on. I mean, is this ever going to be over? And what happens is Isaiah gives them a word from God. And this is what he says. He says, for your sake, God says through Isaiah, I will send an army against Babylon. The Israelites are like, yes, awesome. He says, I'm going to force the Babylonians to flee in those ships they're so proud of. So God's getting a little snarky through Isaiah here, right? They're going to flee in those little ships, their little ships they're so proud of. If you're an Israel and you're like, or if you're an, Isra- is, if you're an Israelite, you're like, yeah, finally this is happening. And then he says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. Yes, you are the Lord. We love it. He says, I am the Lord who opens a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. So now God, through Isaiah, really is reminding them of when he took them out of captivity from the Egyptians years before, where Moses led them out of Egypt, and they hit the Red Sea, and, the, and God split the waters. And he walked through on the dry path. Then the Egyptians followed, and God closed the sea to destroy the Egyptians. This is what Isaiah is saying. This is what God is referring to. He says, I'm the Lord who opened a way. They're thinking, yes, we remember when you did that. Let's do that again. Then he said this, I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives were snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. You're an Israelite, you hear this, you say, yep, you did that before, let's do that again with the Babylonians. We want life to go back to normal. It's interesting that when we are surviving, um, like they were, we desire a return to the past because we want to be comfortable again. I mean, that's really what they're saying. Take me back to normal. Take me back to the past. Take me back to pre-2020. Take me back to pre-pandemic. Then this is what God says next to the Israelites. He says, but forget all that. Forget all that. Remember all that I did with the Egyptians in the Red Sea? Forget all that. Why would we forget all that? And then this is what God says. He said, it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Remember all that back with Egypt? That was nothing compared to what I'm going to do. And he says this, for I'm about to do something, what's the word? New. I'm going to do something new. As amazing as that was, there's something new ahead. As much as you might have liked that, There's something new ahead. He says to them, see, I've already begun. Do you not see it? Do you not see what I've already begun? Then he says, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. Have you felt maybe like 2020 was a year in the wilderness for you? I did at times, kind of lost, looking for a way, not understanding. He says, I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Kind of experienced that dry wasteland this past year. Now, out of this passage, there are two things that we can learn about the character of God. One thing is this. God's faithfulness in your past means he will be faithful in your future. God's faithfulness in your past means he's faithful in your future. Think back to times when God was faithful to you in 
2020, 2019, 2018. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able to identify those things. Those should, those, you should have those testimonies of God's faithfulness always ready so you can bring them out when your faith is weak. He is faithful to you before, he'll be faithful to you again. He's reminding them. He's not going to do it the same way, but he's the same God, same faithful God. So that even in the moment when the Israelites feel like God is not even present and they're in exile in Babylon, God reminds them, I'm still here, still faithful, still with you. God reminds, wants to remind you of that today, I think. That even if you don't feel like it, he's with you and he's faithful. He's been faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the present, he's going to be faithful in your future. There's a second part of God's character that this shows through Isaiah. <clears throat> that God wants to do a new thing. Not the same thing, God wants to do a new thing. Part of the character of God is his faithfulness, and that does not change. But part of the character of God is he does new things. He loves to do new things. God isn't about returning to normal. What about doing something new? So where do you want God to do something new in your life? Where do you want him to show up and do something new in, your, in a relationship, or your, or your relationship with your kids, in the midst of your finances, maybe in a situation that, uh, that you are in health-wise, you want him to do something new? Maybe you needed him, need him to do something new in some other area of your life. <clears throat> we can be so tempted to say, take us back to what was, the good old days. Take us back to what was in the past. But I want you to know, God is doing something new. What if this was your prayer? God, I want to see you do a new thing in my life. This is my prayer for my life and for our church. God, I want to see you do something new, a new thing in the church. Because it says in Isaiah, see, I've already begun. Do you not see it? He's saying there's an, there's an ability there to see it, or to say to God, show me. Let me see this new thing you're doing in our church. And can I say, I think there are some Exciting new things that are happening here. If you're at the congregational meeting today, you heard about some of those things. But we can say, show me. Show me what you want to do in my life. Whether it's in my marriage or other relationship or finances or some, something internal, whatever. God, I want, you to see, I want to see you do a new thing. Now, this can also be a dangerous prayer. It's a difficult prayer. Because he doesn't say I'm going to do an easy thing. Because I'm going to do a new thing. And sometimes the new thing means leaving behind an old thing. Sometimes the new thing means grieving an old thing. Sometimes the new thing means leaving behind an old habit, an old sin, or an old mindset. <clears throat> In Luke 5, 36 through 39, Jesus talks about this. He says, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. This is an amazing illustration Jesus uses, because when wine is new, it's in a state of fermentation, right? It bubbles and expands as the, the fermentation gases are released. A fresh, pliable wineskin can absorb that expansion and slowly age with the wine until the fermentation process is complete. But putting fresh wine into an old wineskin is asking for trouble. The old wineskin is no longer pliable, no longer flexible. 
it's fixed and brittle. And a new wine will cause it to burst. And so both the wine and the wineskin are lost. And this is as relevant to us today as it was to those who heard Jesus speak these words. Jesus is saying, you can't put new ideas into old mindsets. You can't get new results with old behaviors. This means for us a few things. Okay? Number one, we believe truth never changes, but our faith should always be expanding. So the truths we believe are unchanging. Being a new wineskin doesn't mean that we're ready to believe any new teaching that comes along in the name of being flexible. We're not open to new interpretations of Jesus' death and resurrection or justification or whether God's word is really meant to be taken literally or just figuratively. We don't negotiate those things. They are truths that never change, and we cling tightly to them by faith. But it doesn't mean that we don't change and grow. The living spirit of God within us will always be expanding us and stretching us and changing us. Number two, treasure the ways God has worked in your past, but expect God to work in new ways in the future. Some of us can probably look back on times when God moved in our lives and we we can wish that we could have that again. We long for those days, for the ways God was working, for, those, for the glory days. It's, a good, it's good to treasure those times. It's good to have those testimonies. But when we start looking back with longing, we reduce God's work to the stretched out container of what he did then. We start to see the move of God as what he did, rather than a living faith, and what he's going to do and will do. God's unchanging, and his truths are timeless, but his work is always new. Number three, don't limit God to one style or method. We become brittle when we start to think that God only works through one style or method or context. Appreciate that God works through many different kinds of vessels and styles and methods. You may prefer one kind, but appreciate any wineskin that can flex with God's work. Number four, expect God to do things that stretch your faith. Expect God to do things that will stretch your faith and take you out of your comfort zone and into a place where you need to depend on God. Where the testimony afterward isn't like, God did a pretty cool thing, but rather, look at the awesome thing God did. When God pours his spirit into us, he pours his life into us, he pours his grace into us, we get stretched. That's good for us. So we need to be ready for the new thing that God wants to do by staying flexible and willing to be stretched. So now maybe you're saying, okay, Chris, I understand what you're saying, but I am barely surviving. I am barely hanging on. My life's a disaster. Is God really going to want to do a new thing in the midst of the challenges that I'm facing today? I mean, I can't even begin to dream I want, to see, I want you to see what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians. Paul was an apostle, so at this point Jesus had died, he's risen again. There's a whole bunch of witnesses who've seen that. And Paul and others with the Holy Spirit's power are preaching the hope of the resurrected Jesus. They're establishing the early church. They're so excited about the resurrection. They can't stop talking about it, but they, they face persecution. They're imprisoned. And in that context, this is what Paul says. He says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. 
He says, outwardly our bodies are decaying. But God wants to do something new inside of you every single day. Right up till the day of your last breath, he wants you to remain a new wineskin. Because he wants to continue to do new things in your life every day. Does that mean you ignore your troubles? No, this is what Paul says next. He says, for our present troubles are small, they won't last very long. Paul is saying is, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to have eternal life. And this period of challenges that you're facing here on earth isn't going to last very long. And God wants to take those challenges and use them to renew you and to do new things in your life. He says these things, these things that God's going to do out of the challenges in your life, out of the disappointments in your life, he says they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs the troubles and will last forever. So yeah, there's a weight to the troubles that we carry. That is for sure. There's a weight to the difficulties that we have. But as God renews us every day, he says those are replaced by a glory that's going to be greater than all the trouble we experience. So the, the victory Christianity says we're going to have in the end over suffering and troubles is not just consolation. <clears throat> that we're going to be kind of taken away from our suffering into some other kind of realm where there's no more suffering. The victory of Christianity is that the things that were broken, the things that were lost, the things that were ruined are going to be resurrected. They're going to be renewed. They're going to be redeemed. They're going to be brought back and they're going to be more glorious for having once been broken. God isn't about returning you to normal. He's doing something new. That's true victory. So we say, God, show me where you are doing a new thing in my life. Show me, show up in a new way in my life. Do something new in my life. Make me a new wineskin. And this is so important because you can't survive and dream at the same time. But if you're in survival mode, you can come to God and say, give me a glimpse. Show me a glimpse of the dream that you have for me. Show me a glimpse of the new thing that you're doing in that relationship. The new thing that you're doing in my workplace. The new thing you're doing in my finances. The new thing that you're doing in my my isolation, even. The new thing you're doing in my life. Just give me a glimpse of what you're doing, God. I want to see where you're doing a new thing in my life. Amen? Hey, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who would say, I want God to do a new thing in my life. I want to see where he's working. I want a glimpse of that. I lift them up to you and pray that you would show them where you want to do a new thing. And we know that you will. Because your faithfulness in the past is a reminder that you're going to be faithful in the present. That you're going to be faithful in the future. Help us to remain as new wineskins so that your new wine can be poured into us, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. If the um, ministry team would like to come forward, if you'd like prayer for any reason, um, come on forward. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to pray, these people. Love to minister to you. Amen. Have a great day.